You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily podcast on the Kentucky Wildcats. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, what is going on, Big Blue Nation? Welcome on in to Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. I'm your host, Lance Dahl, writer for Sports Illustrated for various SEC-related things. But on this podcast, we cover all things Kentucky Athletics. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people who have the skills, values, and experiences to help you achieve your 2023 goals. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Terms and conditions apply. On today's episode of Locked On Kentucky, we are going to be discussing the reality of Kentucky basketball, which is that the season may be over because of what happened on Saturday. Going to be talking about Kentucky versus Georgia. Now we have Mississippi State. I know I talked about Kansas being probably the most important game of the season. I still think that Kansas game holds a significant portion of value in terms of what the Wildcats needed for this final stretch here to end the season. But this is going to be the game coming up on Wednesday that just kind of determines it all. For the Wildcats, and I don't really know how to feel about it heading into it, to be honest with you, because if Kentucky does not make the NCAA tournament, if I'm not mistaken, that'll be at least four years, five years since Kentucky has had an NCAA tournament win. I mean, it's going to be coming up on, on next year. It'll be coming up on, by the time next year Kentucky makes a tournament, I, I mean, it'll be like four or five seasons uh, since Kentucky has actually gotten a dub uh, in the NCAA tournament. So very, very frustrating stuff there. And finally, we're going to get to some more uh, listener questions. We didn't get to all of them last Friday, so we're going to dive into some more. Some more came over in, in through the weekend as well. Thank you so much for making Locked On Kentucky your first listen every single day. want to remind everybody out there that we are free and available on all platforms. And if I'm not mistaken, we have just surpassed 3,300 subs on YouTube. Really, really appreciate you guys sticking around to listen. And hey, while this season may be on the brink of destruction, you should subscribe to the show anyway because we're going to be talking about a lot of great stuff this offseason. I think that Kentucky basketball may have a chance to rebound next season in a very dramatic way. I think a lot of people would agree with that, especially if the recruiting class sticks together. So if you're not interested in what's going on in this season, and by the way, it's like cue the Super Mario 64 Bowser music because like it's about to get real up in here with what's going on over these final few games. So just make sure you sub, just kind of see the drama unfold, at least through the perspective of the fans of Locked On Kentucky. So let's go ahead and get into it. Kentucky versus Georgia was a really disappointing game uh, on Saturday, in my opinion. I didn't get to catch every single minute of this, but I caught a majority of it, and I had to go back and watch a little bit more of it as well. Antonio Reeves ended up shooting really well in this game to begin the game. And then he finished 8 of 21. I love how everybody on Twitter was was hyping it up like, man, Reeves can really shoot. And I was sitting there like, yeah, man, Reeves can really shoot. And then he just kind of went cold towards the end. Part of it was rushing the, the offense. Part of it was just things that we've seen before. I mean, there's not really anything else to say about this team analytically or stylistically that we haven't already. I mean, the team rushes things whenever they get impatient. They get beaten transition consistently. We saw that with Georgia throughout this game. And, uh... Georgia just ended up making less mistakes. They also shot really well from the foul line. Kentucky fouled a bunch. Uh, they ended up getting to the foul line. Georgia did 29 times. They shot 20 or they made 25 free throws as opposed to Kentucky's 11. And it goes back to kind of what I've been saying about the officiating in this conference. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Kentucky lost this game because 
they did not get more free throws, that they did not get as many free throws, and the officiating was what cost them. I don't think that's the case. I think shooting 38% from the floor is what's going to get you, and the fact that you had Jacob Topp and Antonio Reeves not shooting particularly well. Cason Wallace also going 2 for 8 and barely scoring until the end of this game as well. Uh, that's what loses you a game, right? I do think that it harkens back to what we discussed. It might have been Thursday of last week, talking about how it's not just SEC officiating. It's not just college basketball officiating. It's officiating at every level of professional or amateur basketball. It doesn't matter. Officiating's inconsistent. And you're going to see things like this, and it's just part of the reality that you have to accept that you have to overcome it. It's also really difficult for a team like Kentucky, considering that they had to play seven guys last night. They don't have a healthy roster. Uh, Severe Wheeler was out for this game. C.J. Frederick was out for this game. So you had two guards that you couldn't utilize. And to be honest with you, how valuable are they currently to this team? I think is a question some of you are asking, on, at least on social media. I'm not. I'm not suggesting anything. I'm just saying. I'm just telling you what I've seen online. But it was. Um, it was a tough situation to walk into, considering what the injury bug had done to the Wildcats, and it was a really tough situation to kind of win, especially when you look at how this game started. Georgia just kind of started firing on all cylinders, and Kentucky was cold. I mean, there's not really much uh, of a different way to put it. At one point, Kentucky was down, like, what, 5-13 to 13 at some point in the first half, and then they were able to kind of tie it back up in the first, and then Georgia grew their lead towards the end. Uh, a, bu- a bunch of uh, three-pointers, I believe, by Georgia towards the end of the first half helped them there. And then it was kind of a back-and-forth affair up until, I want to say, the last four minutes of the game. Kentucky was able to build a little bit of a lead. They were able to come back, actually, excuse me, much uh, thanks in part to what Antonio Reeves was doing uh, earlier, which was knocking down a lot of different shots. And then Kentucky just kind of lost their mojo. And Georgia made their free throws, and that was kind of it. Cairo Oquendo was a guy that we highlighted, I believe, heading into this game. And I, I said that based on what we saw last game, there wasn't a whole lot to let me believe, to lead me to believe that Kentucky was going to all of a sudden just get blown out in this one. It's, it's, I, I was also under the impression that either Frederick or Wheeler was going to play or at least play some sort of minutes. And then Calipari announced, you know, or the team announced right before the game, like, oh, well, these guys aren't going to go. So we're going to be playing with a seven man rotation for anybody out there who wants to dog Kentucky and just kind of be melting down over this loss. I would like to counter it with the fact that Georgia goes 10 deep. This is what Mike like, what Mike White likes to do. He's got a roster that he's not necessarily comfortable with, so he's trying to different different things with these guys. First year on the job, it was on the road in Stegman against a, a, a again a Georgia team that just got to the foul line a lot, and so it was it was more for me coming away from the game less anger and more like it's just kind of is what it is at this point. Sixty eight points on the road against a Georgia team that doesn't play great defense. I mean, that's just kind of where we're at right now if you're not going to have your entire roster. The fact that Damian Collins uh, was, was stepped into the game, had eight minutes and four personal fouls, and did not record a single stat other than a turnover outside of that is a little bit disappointing. Adu Thiero came in, and man, he did not do much uh, for the Wildcats. Uh, I'm just confused. I'm confused. You know, you would expect a little bit more out of your bench rotation. 
Uh, it's obviously, there's a reason some of these players are on the bench, but it, again, I, I'm just kind of sitting here like, okay, yeah, I, I, I'm not shocked that this happened. I didn't expect it to happen. I expected Kentucky to go in there, and, and I expected them to win. I expected them to shoot significantly better from the floor than they did, and they ended up not doing that. Oscar, by the way, started this game cold. He ended shooting 6 of 11. I don't really care. Uh, Kentucky can't protect the rim, and so the longer he stays out there on the floor, the more I'm just like, yep, Kentucky can't really do much about that. I mean, that's just kind of is what it is. They were playing with a short rotation. They had to foul a lot, or they did foul a lot, and it ended up making things a little bit awkward towards the end. So that's just kind of where I'm sitting at with it. Kentucky lost the game that they could have won. Georgia is not a better basketball team, period, full stop. I think Kentucky's got better athletes. I think they've got better coaching. It's just you wind up in a situation where, you know, things like this happen. Sometimes you take losses that are just, they just are what they are. I don't really have much analytical expertise on this one, guys. It's just kind of like, well, we wanted to see Kentucky kind of build some momentum here towards the end of the season. They got run on by Arkansas, who is a decent basketball team, and then they got beat by Georgia, who's not great. I would argue that they are considerably worse than Kentucky in a lot of different areas when you both watch them on the court and when you watch or when you look at their numbers. And so now our attention turns, I think, to a really interesting opponent because they, in a lot of different ways, model what Kentucky has struggled against this season. Now you have Mississippi State. And this could be the bubble game of all bubble games heading into this week, at least for me. Before I get to that kind of thought process and what we think about this game and, and what, what Kentucky could be doing in this matchup, I want to tell you guys about our friends over at LinkedIn. As a small business owner or hiring manager, you know that success in 2023 all depends on the team members you surround yourself with. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people who have the skills, values, and experiences to help you achieve your job or achieve your goals. Excuse me. LinkedIn Jobs also helps you find the right people for your team. It's faster and it's all for free, and it's really, really easy to create a free job post. You can add your job to the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. You have simple tools like screening questions. It makes it really easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's really, really simple, guys. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, continuing along here on the Monday edition of Locked On, Kentucky Lance Dahl hanging out here with you. Hey, if you've not already, make sure that you check out the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Really, really great stuff over there with Andy Patton and Isaac Shade, host of the Locked On Tar Heels and Locked On Gonzaga Bulldogs Podcast. It's everything you need to know about college basketball in one place. You can hear from big-name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. That's Locked On College Basketball, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Again, would highly encourage you guys to go check them out. If you're a fan of Kentucky or college basketball as a whole, they will be talking about both over there. And hey, sometimes I hop on the show as well. So Kentucky's got a big matchup coming up. I feel like I've said that half a million times over the past few weeks, but this one is feels like the backbreaker. Now, I understand what, what Coach Cal said at the end 
of the Georgia game. He said that we've got the kind of schedule that, you know, if we go win games, we'll be fine. You're going to have to win games. Is what he told people after the end of the end of the Georgia games. Like, well, we've got a schedule that if we just win the games, you know, there's not going to be any sort of problem. And that was my tune, right? That was my tune after the Florida game. Like, hey, look, you could go four and four, but if you beat the big teams, get the good wins, it's not going to matter. It's literally not going to matter that you go four and four. But now you've already lost to Arkansas. And you've lost to Georgia, who was not one of the quad one opponents that you needed to beat. And so here we are, Wednesday, February 15th, 2023. We've got a massive matchup, in my opinion, against the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Now, Mississippi State is a really interesting team for a couple of reasons. First of all, Hunter Shelton of Wildcats Today over at Sports Illustrated, writer at Fan Nation, points out that John Calipari is 16-1 and against the Bulldogs during his time as uh, Kentucky's head coach. But Mississippi State is coming into this game on a little bit of a different kind of tear. So they started the year off under first-year head coach Chris, Chris Jans, 11-0. They started off 11-0. If you recall way back when, back in December, whenever I was doing uh, SEC power rankings, heading into the conference slate, I was very skeptical about Mississippi State because I did not think what they were doing was sustainable based on the way that their offense operated. They are currently one of the worst teams in the nation in three-point percentage. They're actually the fifth worst, and they are the fourth worst team in terms of free throw percentage. So if you put them on the foul line or you make them shoot from outside the arc, they are going to struggle. Offensively, they're really, really bad. But it's the defense for Mississippi State that has really carried them. They are fourth nationally in defensive adjusted efficiency, and while that did not translate for the better part of the SEC slate, they opened at the SEC slate winning what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, losing seven of eight to begin, uh, to begin the, uh, the slate. They have since won their last five games, albeit against a couple of bad teams, but they also beat TCU in the SEC Big 12 Challenge, who is a decent team. They also beat Missouri and Arkansas. They beat Arkansas by four which is something that uh, that Kentucky couldn't do. I think part of that is is matchup-based. Uh, Mississippi State has a little bit more height. I think they were able to physically manhandle them just a lot better than, than Arkansas did. I mean, there are several teams like Tennessee and Auburn in this conference that you just go toe-to-toe against. I'm like, well, they may not be able to shoot, but if they're tall and they've got some phys- physicality to them, it's going to be a dogfight. That's just how the league is structured this year. That's how it's been structured for a while. If you have a more physical team, it's similar to football, to be honest with you. If you have a more physical team, you're more than likely going to be able to win out, even if you can't shoot. And that's kind of what Mississippi State has done. It wasn't working for, the again, the better part of the SEC slate, but now all of a sudden they've turned it around, and they're projected to win five out of their last six games. The only loss that they have on their schedule, according to Ken Palm, is to Missouri. And they only project the, the Bulldogs to lose that game by two. So you've got a Kentucky team who is struggling right now. I think in a lot of different areas, health-wise, and also, you know, like physically against opponents like this. Going up against a team that has won their last five games. And here's the best best part about all of this. Here's the best part about all of this. As of right now, according to Joe Lenardi's Bracketology, Kentucky is the first team out in the NCAA tournament. So they are literally 
in the field of 68, they are the last team left out. They would be the 69th team. The last team in is Mississippi State. So you have a battle with what? Six games left in the year? You have a battle between the team that is right there behind the fence trying to get him and the team right there pressed up against the fence trying to make sure that they stay in. Both these teams are similar in net rankings, 41st and 46th. Wildcats obviously lower because of how much they have sucked against quad one opponents. But this is the game right now that could potentially be a saving moment for your season. Because here's the thing. Do we at this point believe that Kentucky's going to go go beat Tennessee? Do we believe that they're going to beat Florida on the road? Are they going to beat Auburn? Are they going to beat Vanderbilt or Arkansas? Are they going to how many of these games are they going to win? I've got confidence that they're going to find a way. I just don't know how they're going to do it. And so you need to find the moments like this where you pick up the dub. But again, I want to go back to what I said just a few minutes ago. This is the epitome of everything Kentucky has struggled against this year. It's height, it's physicality, and it's really, really tight defense. Michigan State, you lost to them. UCLA, you lost to them. Alabama, you got blown out. Kentucky, even against teams like Michigan, they struggled. You have to find a way to break that curse in this one. And to be honest with you, because of the shortened roster, because of the lack of momentum, because of what Mississippi State got, you have to think about the other side of this. There's desperation written all over this game. It's not just the Wildcats. It's also the Bulldogs. First-year head coach, they've got some more experienced players on their roster that are trying to get to the NCAA tournament. DJ, Je- DJ Jeffries, Cam Matthews, Deshaun Davis, Shaquille Moore, Tolu Smith, guys that we've heard about for a while, some transfer that, transfers that are coming in that, that are talented too. This is, this is like a big moment for both these two teams. Because just because you finished 20 and 11, just because you finished 19 and 12, that's great. But if you don't pick up the good wins, there's nothing guaranteed for you. It's almost guaranteed that you don't make it. And the SEC tournament, as valuable as it may seem to some, is it's, there's no guarantee you get a, get a win in that either. We've talked about the seeding recently. Kentucky could finish as low as eighth. And if they finish eighth, boy, howdy, we got a problem. Because if they finish eighth, then you're going to have to play the nine seed. And then you're going to have to play Alabama rested. And that could be your season. That could just be game. That could just be game. You got to fight and claw for everything here against a team that you do not match up well with. We're going to talk about it tomorrow a little bit more. And then we're also going to have uh, some people on the show to talk about this matchup and, and just talk about this, the state of Kentucky basketball a little bit more as well on Wednesday, I believe. Stay tuned for that. But yeah, guys, this is not a good situation. <laughs> like, this is That Georgia game hurt. I expected Kentucky to win because, they're again, I want to reiterate, they're the better team. It's a, it's, it's a shock that Kentucky, with their health issues and everything, is repeating what happened last year. Again, I'm not surprised. I'm not like shocked that they lost the Georgia. They could have lost the Georgia game. We pointed that out. What I'm saying is, as the as a whole, the product as a whole. Now that we're getting to like reflect on everything, it's like the th- same thing that happened last year, except this team is 
not as good, I would say. And also, they're playing with a seven-man rotation right now, so that's awesome. Let's get to some more listener questions, and some of these actually tie into what we've been talking about. One of these actually is a football question, because in case you didn't see it, um, the SEC uh, announced that they would actually be moving Texas and Oklahoma into the conference a year early, which is great for some of us. Before we get to that, though, I want to tell you guys about our friends over at Built Bar. Guys, if you're looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all of the fat and calories, then Built Bar is pretty much the best solution out there for you. Built Bars taste really, really good, and on top of that, they're phenomenal for you as well. What makes Built Bars so good, you ask? Well, for starters, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. So right off the bat, you've got that going for you. And then they also have some really, really good flavors. This is not a bit. I am a 100%. I'm a stand of Built Bars in this house. They have flavors like churro, coconut almond, cookies and cream, salted caramel, double chocolate. They've got so many amazing flavors. These Built Bars taste like candy bars while maintaining amazing macros as well. Only 130 calories, about 4 grams of sugar, and 17 grams of protein. And you used to be able to order these over at Built.com, but now you don't need to wait around to go get a box. You can now get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. You can get a 4-bar box at Walmart. You can also get a 13-bar box at Sam's Club. Again, really great flavors. Cookies and cream, brownie batter, churro, coconut puffs as well. Uh, Puffs, by the way, in case you didn't know, are the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. Those things are absolutely phenomenal as well. They, as the kids say, slap. Uh, So I would highly encourage you guys, if you're not going to go head over to Built.com, check it out at your Walmart or Sam's Club. You can thank me later. All right, wrapping up the Monday edition of Locked On, Kentucky Lance Dahl hanging out here with you. So we've covered the the meltdown, right? I want to get back to some thoughts about what you guys are asking with the rotation and the individual play and also a football question. So we've talked a lot about the rotation here recently, but we've got another question here from Skagswag21 over on YouTube. And he asks, during the Bahamas trip, we were without Severe and Oscar, so Collins and Thierro had to pick up those minutes. Granted, the competition wasn't on the same level, but those guys performed well. Is there any merit to our lineups being better off with limiting Severe Wheeler and Oscar Shibway? While solid players and their own right are two key returnees from a team who flaked out in the tournament, moving forward, are we better off relying more on the Bahamas rotations? I think there's a couple things that we have to note here, Skagswag. First of all, the Bahamas rotations did lean heavy on Kentucky's, particularly their front court rotation, by players that have either not gotten the opportunities this year, have either been hurt for half of the year, or have not been popping off as consistently as we may have wanted them to. And you're right, part of that is because the competition was different in the Bahamas. Jacob Toppin has been somebody that I have been praising a lot recently. Uh, Statistically, he's been really solid over these past, I want to say, what, 10 games? It feels like now at this point, 10 or 9 games. Uh, This last outing was probably his worst in a a while, but still, I'm really, really proud of the way that he's, he's finishing his senior season individually. He's statistically improved. Uh, But he's somebody that we expected to be popping off after the Bahamas trip, right? And he's he's been steadier again over these past 10 or so games. But he's not been like Bahamas, Jacob. And so you look at guys like Damian Collins, you look at guys like Lance Ware, 
I'm going to be honest with you, Skagswag. I don't know if Kentucky can really afford right now to rotate back into what they were doing at the Bahamas, just kind of getting everybody involved, essentially. Because the roster's so hurt, they kind of have to play their best guys. And this past game against Georgia, by the way, a team that is just, I'm not trying to beat up on Georgia. They won the game. Props to them. They executed. But it's a team that is not that good. We lost to a team that's not that good. And we did it playing our best players. I don't know if we can get much else out of Thierro or Collins this year. I would like to see them play more. That's just me personally. As a fan, I think it's reasonable and understandable to expect fans to be calling for more players on the bench to get more time whenever things aren't going wrong. We also simultaneously don't understand what's going on in that locker room. We don't truly understand analytically more than these guys what works and what doesn't. These guys have been doing this for decades. They've won a national title before. Granted, only one. It's been a long time. But these guys are Division I coaches at Kentucky for a reason. So you have to trust what they do for the most part. It doesn't mean every single thing that they do is right. In fact, I've questioned it all along throughout this year. But Skag Swag, I, I think that I would love to see it. But for a couple of reasons, I don't think we're going to. Again, because of injury. And then also, I just don't know if this coaching staff wants to. Uh, would we be Would we be, we be better off again? That's a question that I don't necessarily know if I can answer. Um, it's it, it just dependent on whether or not this coaching staff can actually get the players out there and they put them in position to actually succeed. And I don't necessarily know what that looks like on the offensive and defensive end because Kentucky's defense has been pathetic this season. I, I don't know what they would do outside of just throwing them out there. I could, because while I may want to coach at some point, I, I don't think that, that I could answer that question and say, okay, well, how do you best utilize guys like you've got on Yenzo whenever they get back? How do you best utilize Damian Collins as somebody that's not necessarily an offensive threat away from the basket, also not a ball handle. How do you utilize a guy that at your four that steps in and is, I think, a little different than what you get out of Jacob Tuttle? What do you do with that? I'm not really sure. I also do like our backcourt of Antonio Reeves and Cason Wallace. I, I, I like the idea of letting those guys rock. Um, but again, it, it's a Bahamas rotation would allow you to spread this out between eight, nine, maybe even 10 guys. I don't think Kentucky's nowhere near comfortable at that point, at this point of the season, getting deep that deep into their bench. So while we may want it again, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm sorry. Phil Roberts on Twitter asked, how many years will it take before Kentucky fans get to watch the Wildcats play in Austin and Norman for football games? I'm guessing a decade at least. I'm guessing less than that, Phil, for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think it's dependent on whether or not Kentucky, excuse me, the SEC implements that nine-conference uh, game model, that 3-6 model, because if that happens, then you're going to see Kentucky play in Austin and Norman within a four-year span, if that's implemented. And we're going to see it. We're going to see it happen. So if it starts in 2024, I mean, you're seeing this at, at, the, at the latest by 2028. If they go with the 3-6 model, and all signs point to that being where the league office wants to roll. It makes sense conceptually. It's better than the 1-7 model. I don't understand trying to keep just one rival in your league because some of the teams in this league, their biggest rival, so to speak, is not even their biggest rival. They're, they're Like Georgia Tech plays Georgia at a conference, although I, I can only imagine some Tech fans are begging for that one to be over. But yeah, I, I think that the league's leaning towards a model that would give Kentucky the opportunity to actually go and see all these different places pretty quickly. I would say, and 
if they don't end up going with that, if they end up sticking with the eight team model or eight, eight conference game model, and they just say, you know, it's group. Uh, we're not even going to go to pods. We're just going to keep our divisions. We're not even going to, I believe what's going to happen. And let me, let me try and be clear here, Phil. I think that, and you may disagree with this. I, and I, I'm just speculating. I got no idea what's going to happen, but I'm just, I'm just guessing. Um, I think that the SEC is going to do away with divisions like the ACC, like the Pac-12 has. I believe the Big Ten is going to come along and do the same thing. I believe this is going to be, if it's not a Power 5 wide thing, it's going to be a nationwide thing for college football. I think that some conferences will keep them because it allows certain things for, anyway, point being, I think Kentucky's going to do, or excuse me, SEC's going to do away with divisions and they are going to rotate this out with a 3-6 model in a nine-game conference slate. That's my expectation. So I'm basing my answer or response to you based off of that. If they don't, then I think we start to throw this out the window a little bit because goodness knows what else they would do with the, with their model. CRL Court on Twitter asks, and this, this is the final question of the day, why does Wheeler get crushed by the fan base yet Frederick gets a complete pass? Now, this one is interesting, and the, th- the reply to this one was essentially saying, and this wasn't me, essentially saying, well, where do you get your information online, like what part of the fan base are you on on Twitter? Because I see Frederick getting absolutely crushed uh, by the fan base on Twitter. I think that Wheeler and Frederick both do things that initiate response that is not positive. I, I, I'm trying to I'm trying to carefully choose my words here. They both are good players in their own right. They do certain things really well, but I would say CRL court that I, for me personally, um, I, I have my, I have my, my vices with both of them as players, not as people, as players, um, some frustrations with the way that they, they, they operate, they operate the way that they're utilized, I think is also something that's frustrating as well. So for me, yeah, I have fair criticism on them both. I think as far as what the, what the online fan base does or just just the fan base, period. Uh, Wheeler gets crushed because of his size and um, his late-game decision-making, which part of that is him, part of that is coaching staff. He can't have a fifth-year point guard doing things like that, um, especially whenever you've seen him do better in the past. And then Frederick, <laughs> um, I don't understand why he would get a pass. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me because statistically he was brought in to do one thing, and that was shoot the basketball and be that three and maybe D type of player. He, he, he struggles to play that as well, but um, he's not shot the basketball well this year. He struggled with injury. He's been very inconsistent, like very inconsistent. And um, yeah, hey, there's nothing else to say really. I mean, I, I have my gripes with both of them. So that's my perspective on it. CRL court is like, why does Frederick get a pass? I mean, in my mind, he doesn't, but if you're seeing that, I, I don't, I don't understand it either. So if you have any questions for the show, show, excuse me, uh, you can leave them in the YouTube comments below, or you can hit me on the socials uh, if you want to drop a question there. That's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Kentucky. Hey, you can follow the show on Twitter at Locked On UK. You can follow me on Twitter at Lance Dahl underscore. And you can follow the show over on Instagram. That is at Kentucky Podcast. Again, questions, comments, concerns, leave them in the YouTube comments below or hit me on the socials. I will see you all tomorrow for another episode of Locked On Kentucky. Hope you guys have a great rest of your day, and God bless. <laughs>